Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts. Audio Football Club, in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Hi there, podcast fans. I'm Tom Gibbs. Welcome to Telegraph Audio Football Club. We are delighted you've been able to join us. Today, rescind the premature league title as Manchester City come undone against a well-organised Chelsea side, but some fans in the Chelsea end rather ruin the evening by behaving like total idiots to Raheem Sterling. Elsewhere, Liverpool top the table thanks to a rampant Mo Salah. They face Napoli in the week and will look ahead to that along with another few Champions League fixtures. Plus, there's a Libertadores Super Classico farewell tour, the Derby d'Italia, and, because there's a first time for everything, some rampant love for Huddersfield town. Let's take you now into the audio recording facility where I'm joined by your friend and mine. It's Mina Razuki. How are you, Mina? Oh, I'm good, thanks. And you? Yeah, I like I'm... that you started with me. Yeah, well, we've got to mix it up, haven't we? I think <laughs> you've probably taken on seniority for most appearances made at this point so Ooh. far into the season. Very well done indeed. To her left, as is so often the case, we find the man with the mind of a chalkboard. It's JJ Ball. What's happening, JJ? Uh, I played for my Aberdeen fans team that I played for yes, yesterday yes. and it was a better result than 9-0 we suffered two weeks ago this was an 8-1 defeat <laughs> I got the assist though so what was your XG? <laughs> I, I don't know I just ballooned one shot about eight miles over the bar it was good fun good yeah. good congratulations <laughs> thanks completing the lineup, we are graced with the presence of Her Majesty's Telegraph Chief Football Correspondent it's Jason Burt all well with you Jason? all fine thank you Tom yep. good good <laughs> Let us start, please, with Chelsea versus Manchester City. 2-0 to Chelsea. Talk of City's unbeaten season blown apart. Eden Hazard was deployed as a central striker by Chelsea. How did that go, JJ? He didn't seem altogether happy with it after the game. No, um, it's a very demanding role. If you're a small kind of guy, like again, if you've played playing Sunday League or something like that, if you play up top on your own, you just don't ever see the ball. Your job is to try and win a header. If you're Eden Hazard, you can't. Um, and he gets fewer touches of it so one of his problems this season with not scoring many goals is he's not had many touches in the opposition box but I think this was meant to playing that playing Hazard as a false nine means he can act as a pressing barrier when they're trying to break City down means he can stay close to um, to Fernandinho as well but it means he has less of the ball in less uh, 
you know, the not, not very dangerous situations. And the goal they had was him drifting out to the left, and uh, where he managed to cross it in for Canty to score. And that's the one time he pulled away from his position. But the other thing is that him dropping out of that slot should mean that the other two wide forwards can get into it to attack. And uh, but Chelsea didn't have the ball for most of the game, so it's a very thankless task. It's a sacrificial role, right? It's kind yeah. of I think so, yeah. Yeah, largely very well executed game by Chelsea there. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, I think obviously the first forty-four minutes were, uh, to say the least, one-sided, and obviously then they scored. But it changed the dynamic of the game because then I think Hazard became more effective in the second half because of the way they could play. Yeah, and there was, and I think the, the I think Sarri's think, thinking was, I can't rely on Morata and I can't rely on Giroud because the, if the ball goes up to them, it's going to come back too quickly because we're too far away from them. So I think he wanted to play a little bit more compact mm-hmm. in the way in the way yeah, he attacked. And I think that also, I mean, obviously Hazard does not like that role. You're absolutely right. You could see him in the first half, arms out wide. But what I suspect is going to happen is that they might use him again in that role in a couple more games. But I think they're going to try and get another striker in January now. I think they're going to look at it and think, we can't rely on Morata. I think I think, I think Sarri's almost given up on him. Any names to throw into the mix, Jason? Do you really no. think so? Because Sarri really hates bringing in, and he's so like yeah. convinced about chemistry. But, but it may be a loan deal, I think. I think I think what he may do is think, let's get him out on loan and let's see if we can get somebody else in on loan just to get us through to the end of the campaign and then try and sort it out in the summer because he clearly feels we're a little bit short. I mean, Sarri's fantastic with us, by the way. I mean, he's very clear and very, very honest. I think it's partly because his English is okay without being brilliant. So he's often his language is quite brutal. But he basically <laughs> asked himself, well, why, why, is, why is Morata not even on the bench? Well, so what's the point? <laughs> basically, yeah. <laughs> yeah ba- basically, it was, what's not- the point? I've got, I've, you know, well, Giroud's there and Morata. I don't need them both, just one of them. And I'll go with Giroud. You're thinking, okay, fair enough. That's quite clear. Well, maybe maybe they should just move and go Kante all the way up to the striker role. <laughs> well, because yeah, after, after all this talk of being a defensive player who didn't have the instincts to, to to play further up the pitch, he arrived beautifully to take that goal. He finished very calmly. He can do it, Mina. Well, this was the thing. It was the two players that we basically criticised uh, Sadi for in the sense of David Luiz. Oh, really, should you be playing this player? And N'Golo Kante. But despite all of that, and even if he got the goal, and even if he was magnificent, because he always is, he's a great player you still feel that he's a waste in the role that he's playing. You still want him to be playing in the role that you think he can get involved in all the battles, make sure that you know he, he puts up a fight in the position that he loves or it has been proved to be the best to add. Um, this was interesting because when I walked in, I, I just turned to JJ when I came in today and I said, are you ready for a battle about this match? Because yeah? <laughs> <laughs> it's two, two philosophies. But I think this was a great learning experience for Man City because despite the fact that they dominated the first half, I think if they want to go on and win something in Europe, then they need to face these sides and understand how to limit their weaknesses and try to see what other teams will do against them. This is this is where I tell you, it's too easy to get past Fernandinho than you're exposed, you know? Other teams will make use of their, their they will exploit chances, they will make, make use of their physicality, they will try to win the aerial duels, and City have to learn how to cope in these situations and learn and adapt, much like they did when they faced Liverpool last season. You saw this season when they faced them, they played a most com- more composed style of play. This is my only fear with City, is that sometimes they get so enthralled with playing this one-way style of football that certain weaknesses will come up and they'll be defeated I think they really missed Aguero I really think they missed Aguero on Saturday I mean it's interesting a couple of years ago I thought Aguero was on his way out I thought Gabriel Jesus was the future I could see why he was going to play him he was much more mobile he, he, 
he, def- he, he, he defended from the front the way that Pep Guardiola wanted him to and Aguero wasn't doing any of that but you've seen in the last year or so Aguero really has become even more important to Manchester City yeah. and I think they really missed him he didn't have that kind of focal point to the attack Sterling started through the middle and did okay and it wasn't, but it wasn't really working then he pushed him out wide he and felt then put, a lot better and he, put, and he put Mares in the middle and that was that was a complete waste of time it just did not work at all and I think you know starting without a striker really hurt them and it's a bizarre thing to say because it's got 45 league goals but actually they've got a slight problem in attack I think without without Aguero they're not quite the same and I think one, one thing that really exercises Guardiola is the number of chances they miss and he, mm. he gets very very worked up about it at first the first season in English football he did he, that, was, that was his biggest problem he felt they just missed too many chances last season they were more clinical this season they're missing chances again that first half if they'd gone in front they'd have won that game I don't think Chelsea would have come back at them but yeah. this is exactly what it is. I mean, with his plan of football in Guardiola, unless your attack, which I think he had in Bayern too at the time, unless the attack is is shooting and, and scoring from all cylinders, really going for it, then I think that he, the rest of the squad needs to find some sort of balance to cope with that. So unless his attack is all out brilliant, which it can't be because people are humans and they play three games a, a, a week, then it becomes difficult. And then he has to find a way of balancing it all out, which means not leaving Fernandinho alone in the midfield. Unfortunately, we do have to discuss Raheem Sterling and the uh, alleged (laughs) racial abuse incident uh, in the first half. Clearly, none of this looks good uh, from the point of view of the Chelsea fans involved. Uh, Before you even get into what has been said or what hasn't been said, it's just not a great look, is it? Three frothing older white blokes screaming in the face of a young black footballer. Do you think there's any chance that those pictures and what's happened in the days since will give other fans a, a little bit of pause for thought and, and, and just question the viability of what is, seems to be allowed to happen in football games where you can just shout whatever you want at the players involved? It's really weird because we've got this sort of sanitised environment around football. The stadiums are safer than ever. You know, you go there, you can take your family. There's more women in football grounds than ever before. And yet some people still believe they've got this licence to do what they want inside a football stadium and and to behave the way they want and to shout and abuse people the way they want. It's just totally unacceptable. Obviously, if there's a racial element to it, it's a hate crime. They'll be prosecuted and and the police will be heavily involved. If it's not a race crime, they'll still abuse the guy. You know, so so then they, they they still should be banned from the stadium. It should be zero tolerance policy with these things. Now, these guys were inches away from you, Raheem Sterling. You know, they're right in his face doing this, and it's like as you, as you say, it's live on television. There's no shame involved. They they were being filmed. They did not realise what was going on. They they almost feel like they can get away with it. One of the guys involved apparently was talked to the stewards talked to him, and he and he's, he's asking to stay for the end of the game because it's close to the end of the you know. And you're thinking, like, hang on a minute, out the stadium, banned for life. And I think actually, even if it's not proven with one of those guys in particular that it is racial uh, abuse, I think he will going he's going to get a ban because I think Chelsea are going to look at it and say, look, we cannot allow this to happen. And it, and what's interesting, obviously, the the 24 hours after that is how Sterling has responded to it with his statement, which I think is is, is fantastic. By the way, I think it's great that he's taken ownership of it to a degree and he's put it out there and he said look at this how we report some people report on young black football players how that is then contrasted to young white football players and it is unacceptable yeah, the, the examples he gave from Mail Online I mean yeah. we, every publisher every newspaper makes mistakes absolutely the Telegraph is included in that sometimes but, 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 there but, been, but you, but cannot, Tom, you but, cannot argue with the fact that but Tom there's been a series the, of stories the, the, the and let, let, let's, let's, very, name, very let's name the organisations involved it's the, it's the Mail Online Daily Mail Sun they're the ones who've done a series of stories over the last few years with a very clear tone towards Raheem Sterling okay without a shadow of a doubt they need to answer for themselves, yes. and we. But we also all need to make sure we examine properly how we report on 
on all, all players and how we report on young black players in particular. Because sometimes some people have been guilty of bringing prejudice to bear about young black players and their reporting. And we've got to be very careful about that because, you know, this is it's 2018. This is, this is unacceptable on every single level. And I think that, you know, there's a sense of empowerment in what Raheem Sterling did yesterday. And I was really pleased that he did it. Good on him. It was a brave act to do. It was a fantastic response to it. Hopefully it will not now go away. It is up to the authorities to get heavily involved. The Premier League needs to get involved in this now and make it not just about zero tolerance on, on, on racial abuse, but all forms of abuse, but obviously certainly racial abuse, and really crack down on this because it has, there has been a creep back into the yes, inter, interstate of this happening That's what I'm saying. It's, it's, it's starting to come back into it. What I think is interesting is that there's, there's been these documentaries on hooligans who explain themselves. And they do, like there's this one guy who was talking who's a lawyer and he's a, you know, a very well-to-do gentleman. But when he goes to a stadium, he feels like this is the time to unleash mm. and just go crazy. And the fact that people still think they can do that and they have the right to go into a stadium and yell and do all types of obscenities is crazy. And how do you take that out of the game? And then he can just go about to his daily life, meanwhile leaving people behind him that have all been tarnished by what he said and by what he's done. But recently you are seeing these things come back in and it's too much in, in certain headlines when you need to note the ethnicity or the background of a player. Why is that even important? And mm. this is not just in football, but in, in general all over the newspapers certain, in, in certain headlines. Yeah, we should say as well, there's a, there's a massive diversity problem in football reporting and sports reporting in general. There there's is, far, yeah. There's yeah. far too yeah. many white blokes involved and, and I think that's, you know, that's brought to bear, unfortunately, on this whole horrible episode. Let's return to the uh, far less horrible ground of Liverpool, who went top of the Premier League with their win at Bournemouth. Hat-trick for Mo Salah. Uh, a hat-trick of Mickey taking for his third goal, beating the keeper twice and then tucking it in with the outside of his boot. Do we think he's back to his best now? I think he's actually been OK all season long. It, he's not underperforming. Uh, he's getting roughly about the same rate of goals per shots or chances he's getting. I can't remember the exact stat I'm looking for. But uh, he just got his hat-trick in that game by doing the same things he's been doing. It's funny watching him as well. When you see it on highlights, it's like he's on fast-forward the whole time. If <laughs> you notice how he runs really, really, really quickly. like uh, Really well-taking goals. Yeah, he's been... There's smoke in the background. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and a trail of smoke. He's, uh, like I say, he's, he's been... Just about the same as he was last season, but still not. I mean, last season's probably a one-off. It really was just insane how many goals he managed to get. And I think momentum took him forward at the end of the last season. He was getting all those goals at the end. But it seems to be finding more of the back of the net recently with Liverpool than he has been for most of the season. Does this result change how we feel about Liverpool as potential title winners? Yeah. Why? You think they're I, definitely pretty good? I just think they're... They seem more in control of it. Um, they've got more points at this stage of the season than uh, well, the only team that had more at this stage of the season was I think Man City last last year, and there's some other teams that won the league before that. They just they look good. It's about everywhere. the fourth best ever start ever. Yeah, Van, Van Dyke's phenomenal. Allison's been a huge difference. Like that goal they scored the other week, where Allison hurled the ball out and they counterattacked and scored from it. it. Was that's unbelievable? They're so dangerous in transition. They're solid, and then teams can't sit deep against them because eventually they get drawn out and Liverpool score. But then when they try and attack them, they get done apart in transition. Like Guardiola, that's the first time I've seen him go all defensive when Man City played them and got the draw when they played and sat really deep because they were scared. 
I think other teams are terrified. Uh, to be fair, though, City should have won that game. They, they, were, they, were, they were the better team in that game, to be fair to them. And I, and I agree with you that Liverpool are going to get an awful lot closer to City. I still think City are the, are the, are the favourites to win. What's interesting me to too, me yeah, I think on Saturday wasn't just obviously wasn't just Salah, but the midfield. Uh, it's interesting that Cater and, and Fabinho are starting to get a bit more into it now. And if he can get that combination right in the midfield, I think that could be the big change for Liverpool. Because defensively, fantastic. In attack, we know what they can do. Midfield has been the one area you think if you can get the combinations mm. right, that they, that that will that will change things for them. That will move them onto another level. Mm. What will be interesting also though is what happens tomorrow night when they yeah, play Napoli. Yeah, that's what I wanted to know yeah, exactly. because it, you know I just want to I just want to see if they're going to go all out and and do this or are they going to now really focus on the Premier League and and perhaps not exert as much energy. And then obviously the effect if they don't get through that dropping into Europa League what happens there if they do get through it the euphoria then of going to play Manchester United at the weekend so I think it's quite a pivotal game in terms of the well, maybe they'll be the... more determined than ever to prove themselves in the Premier League and win it yeah but I think there's an inevitable come down if you go out of the Champions League there just is and yeah. especially if you drop into the Europa League you yeah. want to keep it going because it keeps your momentum going yeah. the more you win and sure enough when you've been in the final last season yeah. as well and you've got all those players that are very good you should be able to play and win these games yeah. to move yeah, your squad absolutely. around slightly you don't have you can plan who plays this game who plays there I mean you see like Spurs still Napoli well, yeah, but you can still <laughs> but you can you can change one midfielder, maybe one fullback, and then rotate them for the next game. So this it means you've got different players to get arrested at different times. All of this up. and more to come in our Champions League preview, which will be coming a little bit later. <laughs> Sorry, on in the episode. <laughs> yes, Jason, please take a five minute time out from the podcast. Not really. We need your contribution. <laughs> Let's talk about the rest of the Premier League. Crystal Palace last season were kind of the banner team for XG underachievement. The stats suggested they were a lot better than their results, and and so it proved in the end where they moved away from relegation trouble pretty comfortably. It feels like the results aren't quite reflecting the performances again this season for them. They were kind of all over Brighton in the week, but lost 3-1. They were 1-0 up at West Ham on Saturday, uh, very close to two when Milivojevic hit the bar with his free kick and then ended up losing that match. Is this simply bad luck with Palace, or does this reflect something about their shortcomings? Well, I think the Palace, I mean, they've struggled without wins that has been out. They're not anywhere near the same. Sometimes they look very good going forward when Townsend and Zahara are playing well, but teams are wary of them, and that's their only real threat. I know MacArthur keeps scoring at the moment. I don't know how he manages that. But Hodgson is playing his old 4-4-2 that he had so much success with early in his career. It's the same thing. It'll be solid, compact, and they have to rely on getting uh, points from hitting people very quickly on the counter. Um, they press high sometimes, and that seems to work. But it doesn't unless every single person does their job very well, then they get taken apart by teams like West Ham have better players and Crystal Palace have worse players than a lot of teams and mm. I think it does <laughs> at basic just come down to that I think Hodgson's doing fine if someone else comes in they would probably set them up in the same way maybe make it a 4 or 5 one that'd be the only difference but it's not going to make a huge difference without different is players. there anything to be gained by getting rid of Hodgson at this stage? No, I don't think so. But yeah. I, I do agree with JJ. I think what's interesting with, with Hodgson, and I've, I've spoken to him about myself in the past, is that he, he's very good at organising a team. He'll organise your defence, he'll organise the structure of the team. But actually, the sort of the forward areas, it's almost like, well, they just go and do it. They, yeah. they, they just go and score me a goal and that'll be enough. There's no, I don't think there's often enough attacking variation in the way he does things. I think he just basically thinks, well, I'll organise my defence, I'll have a very hard-working midfield and forwards who can score a goal now and again. And, they, and, that, and that's what I think they sometimes lack, because when that doesn't work... There's what no attacking structure, yeah, exactly. What else is there, really? That's probably a lot of teams do this, and they fall into this trap. They where do you, a lot of teams You go man-to-man, this, and, you, yeah. You, yeah, and you stay um, compact and just hope that you create somehow, but there's no clear 
passages of play that they're doing every time to try and create it's just that they get the ball forward and be in position in case it comes back but going back to Tom's point what's interesting I think I think they've got fewer points at this stage this season than, than last season without that horrific start I mm. think they've actually got fewer points now haven't they it's I just think. that I think that they need Wilfred Zaha to sort of act with that panache that he plays with you know just to be that confident almost cocky player that he, he can be instead he just seems a little bit at the moment, shy, um, not really playing to his capabilities or not showing or, or feeling strong and confident at the moment. And I think that's having a huge effect. They're not having any shots on goal, really. And he just almost seems to just keep wanting to pass it around until he loses the ball. He's just back from injury, to be fair to him. Like, yeah. Before that, he was really, really on his game. Also, he seems a bit scared of tackles going but the, in now. But that's, that? Yeah, this is what it is. It's normal. But as soon as he gets that back, yeah. you feel like there'll be a little bit more of energy going forward and more shots on goal, more more mistakes, more provocation mm. of the defence. West Ham on a great run as well now, uh, looking uh, looking far, far better uh, with Pellegrini seizing control and doing all of his magic there in East London. At Old Trafford, it was Jose Mourinho limited for Fulham 1. Fulham at home looks like about the kindest fixture you could possibly have as a, as a Premier League team slightly struggling at the moment. They're, they're not great. No, they're not great at all. And I was, I was waiting for people to talk about Manchester United turning another corner again on Saturday. They've turned so many corners, I don't know where they yeah. are right now. But obviously that was a perfect fixture for them, even though Mourinho tried to make out it wasn't beforehand. Even the Fulham fans told him it was a perfect yeah, fixture. Yeah, it was a perfect fixture. Obviously, you know, Fulham had to change up at half-time because it just wasn't... I mean, I heard it on the radio and they said absolutely atrocious performance from Fulham first half. But, you know, it took their chances. You know, they scored some goals for once. I mean, you know, for their point of view, it was, it was a positive performance. Diego Dallos is now an interesting player for them. I think he's going to be a big star in the future. Um, it's going to take some time, but he is an interesting player who's come into the, into the mix for them. But, you know, I, I'm not going to get too carried away by Manchester United smashing Fulham, to be honest with you. I think they're a bigger test to come. I totally agree. Uh, and the thing is that once Man United have a lead and they're ahead, they play, in a different, they play with a different kind of swagger. and they, It all seems to always happen. When they go behind, they have to chase it, and then they're chasing the whole game, and then they get level and they seem to settle but here I mean Ashley Young scores this goal like nothing how he manages to score there you can't rely on that it's mental uh, but I think Marcus Rashford is really starting to I think he's been brilliant player. this season actually he's, I think he's lacking he, a bit of a killer instinct but, I think, but in the, his in the, work, end, his, the runs he, he is making when you watch him live the runs he is making is unbelievable and he's so bright he with is, how he, he uncovers space yeah. bright is a perfect yeah. word for him Yeah, yeah. He, I, I think he's actually being underappreciated and not just by Manchester United but in general I think he's having a fantastic season not by Mina Mina wants Juve to sign I've always wanted okay. Rashford he's, he's honestly <laughs> my favourite player I like Martial too I've always, always have done but Rashford is that's exactly he's bright he knows how to uncover space he knows which gaps to run into. He starts running before he, he reads the game so well as a youngster. I know that he squanders quite a few chances and he doesn't perhaps, you know, finish off the, the so many the many chances he does create. But by far, I think he's one of their best players. It'll if he come just, and age that one, the, the, the yeah. finishing, I yeah. thought. He's technically, he's one of the best players I've seen, I mean, and he's I don't composed. want to go over the top, but he's so technically amazing. Yeah. He's well within the top five young best young players in the entire world, like easily. Yeah, I know. I mean, I mean to think that I, I would prefer him and Martial to always be in the front line. If that means Lukaku's on the bench, I'm all right with that. Maybe Ed Woodward also turning it around at Old Trafford. Jose Mourinho over the weekend suggesting he was saving money for the January transfer window in inventive new ways. Are you saving money? No water. <laughs> saving money for January. <laughs> Harry Kane benched for Tottenham, but not to worry because my favourite Premier League player of 2018-19, Sung Hyung Ming, scored another fantastic goal for them up at Leicester. 
Pochettino saying they're not going to sign anyone else in January. Will they become the first Premier League team to ever go a season without signing anyone, Jason? I don't think they will sign anyone. I think they're going to wait. Um, I think there are issues still around the financing of the stadium. I think there are issues around budgets. I think there are issues around what, how do you actually get the right sort of players in to, to improve the team. I think he's just thinking, I'll just get through this campaign. What will be interesting is if all the viral goes, it's possible. Uh, he may go to Manchester United I don't think he will but it's possible so that might change it slightly but I think he's just going to try and get through the season not to make a point but he will be making a point if he does do that he has got options I mean I think there is a little bit more depth to that squad than people think there is and obviously we're talking about Son and various other players Ericsson and Kane starting on the bench on Saturday that was a fantastic win to go and win at Leicester so comfortably. Yeah. I mean, that was a brilliant win with, with, with making those changes. He is managing his resources brilliantly in terms of what he's doing this campaign. And obviously, he's got a lot of the... big issue, I think, for him is not, not the recruits and so on. It's really the number of players he had deep into the World Cup. And that's really how he's got to manage that sort of situation. Trippier, for example, is really struggling, I think, post-World Cup. It's been a very difficult season for him. So I think that he's done extremely well. Son coming back, I mean, I, I, I'm with you. I, I really like Son. I think he's a, a fantastic player, not least because he plays with a smile on his face all the time, which I like. Yeah, he just really enjoys playing football. He really loves being a football player. And I think that's fantastic. We don't see enough of that sometimes. And even when he misses a chance, he's like shaking his head and smiling. I think he's fantastic. I love it. I think he's a good example to people. And he's, and he's a very talented player. We're talking about Rashford, the runs that yeah. he makes. And look at the, the, run, the runs that Son makes. Well, well, that goalkeeper in nothing as well, because that I mean, Leicester had that. But game that was the most magnificent. Quite, oh goal. yeah, the, the game was kind of, kind of locked down. Leicester were doing well, keeping them quiet. It wasn't an awful lot of chances going on, and then that's what you need. A player like Son just comes in, steps, and bashes it in top corner, from, out of, just out of nowhere, and that changes the entire game. And then and then Spurs can control it the way they want to after that but it, to be honest I, I know that we're talking about Son but I thought Deli Ali yeah. had just a fantastic mm. he's just been fantastic when he he's it up. back at you know at playing at his level that he, we know that he can he's finesse he's got so much elegance on the ball the way he's moved how hard working he was in that game it was really all about him when you have that kind of player on the pitch you really this is the thing do you really need, who would you bring in if you're Spurs like if you're Pochettino I can't think of who's going to be the guy that's going to elevate them at the moment that's Rashford. going to make a huge... Yeah, maybe Rashford. But they have quite a lot, really, to try to fit in from Lamella to Eriksen to Lucas Moura to... And he's made each one better, Pochettino. And maybe Alderweireld will get a Manchester United and then he'll follow them next year. Yeah, Pochettino. Swap, swap for Bay as well. He's, uh, he's out of favour and looked quite decent at some points last year. Uh, from discussion of one group of men who are very popular in North London to one other, Lucas Torreira, with the goal that they're calling the mini Trevor Sinclair, certainly in my mind, is, is he the best new player in the Premier League this season, Mina? Yeah, he's absolutely the best new player. Honestly, I'm, like, I knew that he was very good because we've obviously watched him all the time in Serie A. But I, I guess... I, I didn't realise that he'd be this good. Um, and I don't know whether this is... Sometimes I don't know what this is about him or that Unai Emery really is a very good tactician as well and understands how to sort of get the best out of Aubameyang and Lacazette, for example. I think they've been fantastic this season. But Lucas Torreira, just the, the energy that he shows, um, working for a manager who also makes such good decisions, it's all coming together for Arsenal. And I wasn't sure about them in the beginning. And I still have question marks about that defence, which I will continue to have. But this is a side that you can clearly see is making huge progressive, taking progressive steps forward. And with Torreira in midfield, who's doing everything that he can to ensure perfection, really, um, as well as goals right now. It's important to remember Alisson is also in the new signing this season and he's made a huge difference to the Liverpool play. And without him, they may not be quite the solid 
title-pushing thing they've got going on. But yeah, I love Torreira. He's been amazing. Yeah, we're there on Saturday, JJ. What, what, what did you make of him seeing him in the flesh for what I assume is the first time? He's great. He's never one looks like he's going fast-forward the whole time. <laughs> uh, I, I like how Emery is absolutely brutal with his changes. and He doesn't hold back, just goes straight away at half-time that. makes that. But Torreira and, uh, as well. So Torreira was everywhere and doing all his work scored the goal um, and Guendouzi was excellent so confident always looking for it but I thought Xhaka is again brilliant um, I said this on on the Twitters and uh, some people called me out saying that he wasn't he was rubbish he was doing this and that he would he'd give away a chance for a goal he was brilliant he controlled everything he led from the back he kept position he told everyone where to go range of passing was superb always in the right place shame about all the Underrated. diving well, the diving sucked, yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. Uh, you've got to have a little bit of that in your game, haven't you? Wolves snatched it late up at Newcastle on Sunday. Great week for them after beating Chelsea, Jason. Yeah. Has anything changed for them after their little uh, spell of um, poor results? No, I think I think they, they obviously they had a situation where they came into the Premier League. I think they're a very, very fine team. They've got a very good coach. Um, I think they found it almost like they were, they were doing better against the bigger teams. They, mm. they found those games not to get up for but they, they found that easier but I think the style of play made them a little bit vulnerable to teams who were going to defend a bit more against them rather than, rather than come at them and I think that's the adjustment that they've had to, that to make I think the win against Chelsea was a, was a huge result yesterday not quite so much but obviously the manner of the victory in the end but I mean, I've, I've got no, no concerns at all over Wolves they'll, they'll be absolutely fine there's no, no problem whatsoever and although they have spent quite a lot of money Again, you look at that team, and there are there are players in there like Connor Cody who who've massively improved, you know. And 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 I think sometimes we forget the fact that yes, they've brought in all these players, Portuguese players, and so on. Players have spent a lot of money for, but you know there are players in there who've been there a while who have improved and have stepped up to the plate in the Premier League. And I think I think Cody's an example of that. Bennett's an example of that. Matt Doherty's example of that. Great, yeah. yeah, exactly. There are players in there. You think well, actually, you know, they, they they've been sort of Championship players who've come forward now and. I think I think Wolves deserve more credit than they they get because I think sometimes people think they've almost like bought this success they've had so far. Yes, they've spent a lot of money, but so has everyone else. You know, a lot of people have. So it's not as if they they haven't improved players either. I think it's their attitude that I like the most about them. They just yeah. never feel it's like... fearless, yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. absolutely it. Sometimes you, you'll see... Like, I, I thought Bournemouth at, at certain times when they were defending against Liverpool just look resigned to the fact that it was Liverpool. And and at times were just lacking in composure and panicked when you see the likes of Salah on, on, on the ball. But what I like so much about Wolves is that they're never like that. They no. always look like they're ready to go in for it and try to get a win. Yeah, my son Morgan Gibbs-White also looking uh, <laughs> very much like... Came, came on as a sub at Newcastle, but he was always like... as. JJ says about uh, Guendouzi he was playing quite riskily his pass completion percentage probably wasn't all that but you can really see he's like desperate to get on the ball and try and play an inventive pass forward a player I like very much indeed finally Ralph Hessenhuttle's first game in charge at Southampton ended in a 1-0 defeat to uh, JJ's favourite team Cardiff City Uh, (laughs) do we think he can turn it around for Southampton? Uh, yes, I think he can. Maybe um, not this next month. Though. But it's going to be tricky. It's not a great time to, to come into the Premier League. Obviously, we're going into this heavy Christmas schedule. He's already talked about players having to work a bit harder, talking about the sort of intensity of the game. Every new manager says that. Absolutely. But I think yeah, with Southampton... Really about the fitness. But with his fitness. style of play, they're going to have to do it. I mean, they're going to have to do this. What's going to be interesting is how he manages to do that on the training ground while they're playing games. Yeah, there's so many days off as well because a game, day, day of rest, and then you come Because now we're in this period it. where it's just basically recovery, play, recovery, play. Yeah. And you just, it's just managing yourself through the Christmas period. I think it's going to be difficult, for, but, they're going to, but they're just going to have to do it. I mean, I think managers have done it in the past where they've come in and sort of said, 
you know, this is my template, you're going to have to work to it, double sessions and so on. And I take your point, and every manager says either the players are <clears throat> unfit or let's take ketchup off the dinner, off the, off the lunchtime <laughs> table. Um, but, but, but at the same time, I think he has a particular style of play. On, yeah. Yeah, I want a manager to come and say, right, more condiments. That's what this team is lacking. Um, well, one of the things that upset Martin Yole the most when he got sacked by Tottenham Hotspur was, was um, Ramos coming in and taking off, t- saying it was the fault of having so much ketchup and mayonnaise on the, on the table. Like, it's not, my, not always my responsibility to have ketchup on the lunchtime tables. Oh. Anyway... <laughs> If you just sorts out the defence, then Southampton can be all right. But I mean, it's a whole month where they're facing Man City, Arsenal, Chelsea. I just, I don't see how they're going to score those goals that they need to score. But what he can do is at least make them less vulnerable at the back. And he's very good at that. So let's see what he can do and perhaps not giving away the costly error that they did. I think a lot of that's to do with confidence and how you install it in the players and make sure you get the right balance and get the most out of the ones you have there. You can do all the positional coaching you want during the week. Well, not very much of the doing recovery, but um, as soon as Southampton manage to get one result over the line, they'll just suddenly start to grow, and there are good players in that team. They, mm, be okay. they are good players, yeah. Don't play Vestergaard, that's what I say. <laughs> there you go. There's your solution. Let's look ahead to the Champions League. The group stage concludes this week. Liverpool versus Napoli. Who's going through, Jason? <clears throat> I think Liverpool do it. I think they will. Um, uh, Napoli are a very fine team, a very dangerous team. Um, but I just I've been to these games before where, you know, the atmosphere at Anfield. I know I know it gets overblown, but the atmosphere at Anfield can be very can be very special. It genuinely, can be very special. And I just think, I think they're going to do it. I got quite a quite a strong feeling that they'll be okay. Is that a thing that's known in Italy, Mina? That the atmosphere in Anfield is something a bit different and something to be slightly afraid of. Yeah, it was like a, it's the atmosphere in San Siro in the in the late nineties. It was when they had Fossa de Leon Olders. <coughs> it's one of those like everyone just says Liverpool. No one. I remember like when we were talking about Liverpool in the knockout stages, everyone said it wasn't a team to fear in Italy. But Liverpool and Anfield is absolutely the team to fear. Just because when you have that kind of support, much like Inter have had when they've been playing at home against Spurs and PSV Eindhoven, it makes these things make a difference. And they're worried about it because they know that Ancelotti can be better at club than Klopp at you know, changing and, and, and tactically like ma- maintaining or, or ensuring a goal. But whether or not the players will just get scared... You don't know that. Spurs, tough game for them, JJ, away at Barcelona. Do you give them any chance? Uh, I think so. The th- I think when you go to places like the camp now and you're a team like Spurs playing in the Premier League all the time, is that you notice there's a different, not a huge gulf in quality, but teams like Barcelona just keep the ball so much better and pass it and play in a different way, and they tend to strip apart. But also, teams like Barcelona don't like playing against more direct, I would say, English Premier League teams that go straight through them. Um, it depends on what lineup uh, Pochettino goes with. I think they'll be worried about um, Harry Kane, but also because they don't need to win, they might not be all at it. And um, I know Jason's desperate to tell us how the, <laughs> the table works out. We've had oh, a I long know. and thrilling right. discussion, which we won't include on the podcast, about how, how this all works. Uh, uh, so they're level weight in Milan. They're both on seven points, Spurs and Inter. So whoever wins. Um, will go through but if they both win Spurs will go through by a count of a better head to head record with Inter or head to head record yeah. I'm glad you're across this meeting <laughs> <laughs> seems to be the only person who's really grasped it fully elsewhere in the Champions League all the predictable names basically are looking safe um, Ajax, Porto, Schalke are all through as well Leon look like they have a good chance who's going to be the dark horse this year there's always one team who seems to go a little bit further than expected I was like Ajax. I love those young players they've got, and if they, I mean, I think it looks like Frankie De Jong and Delict will be off in the summer, or maybe even January. I hope to us, but yes. But they're, they are <laughs> such 
good players and such a good unit and they're really well coached they're playing in the old Ajax way and I just like when young young players are in a team together and trusted and I think they could do something if they don't get a bad draw I'm surprised Schalke have gone through to be honest I mean they've had a dismal domestic uh, season so the fact that they're even there is, is beyond uh, belief I think it's interesting how PSV haven't although their group is much harder actually but Ajax have proved to have that bit more balance in Europe than uh, PSV do I think if Lyon gets through they are a side that's quite interesting to watch with a lot of good names in attack mm-hmm. but otherwise I really can't see past the usual suspects except I don't think Bayern will be part of it Best chance ever for you very surely this year Honestly, if they don't win it this year, like I just feel like I don't know what we're supposed to do anymore. Uh, they have Ronaldo. They have the squad depth. They've got a, a guy in charge who everyone in the world wants to, them to, to be his man. Want them to. So if if, if they do win, do you think Allegri will <laughs> God, go? I can't say it. Do you think Allegri will go if they if do? If he finally win? wins it, yeah. Do you think he'll go? I think he will go. I don't know. I don't know. I really, honestly, it depends on the opportunities. Mm. I mean, if it's Real Madrid, he'll be in demand next summer. I mean, everyone wants. He's been in demand already. Oh, I know. I know. Yeah. But I, I mean, think, I think he wants to stay till he wins it. I think so. Um, yeah. I do think though, there's a part of him that's a little bit worried about what happened. I mean, when Antonio Conte went to Chelsea, it was like this whole thing where Capello said, "You do you know what you're doing here because yeah. you're leaving a team that's very well organized, and and people that support you all the time." come, you know, hello, high water, to go somewhere where you're going to be exposed. Are you ready for this? And I think Allegri's taken note about what happens to certain coaches when they leave. And I don't know, he's got it really good there. So whether he or not he wants to start a legacy or be the kind of coach that Lippi was and that stays for many years, Ancelotti with Milan, I have no idea, but I do think he's desperate to win it now. Maybe he just fancies living in a Manchester hotel suite for the next few years. (laughs) Audio Football Club in association with Tag Heuer, the official timekeeper of the Premier League. Our timepieces are designed for those who love challenges. Don't crack under pressure is much more than just a claim. It's a state of mind. Let us now enjoy a song for Europe featuring Nina Razuki. Mina, the Derby d'Italia, as Juve hosted Internazionale, the two most supported teams in Italy, you told me. Uh, 1-0 to Juve, but uh, they were pretty fortunate to get away with that result, given the amount of chances for Inter. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, you got to fess up. Okay, you're right. This is this is the kind of game in which you're like, okay, Juventus have Ronaldo. They have a squad depth of that they've been yearning for for so many years. They have the best manager in the league, and yet they still can't seem to destroy teams. It's starting to get a little bit annoying because if they want to win the Champions League, then they have to do better. Inter, I called them disgusting about a few weeks ago, if you remember on this podcast, you know, because their performances have been below par, and yet they always manage to snatch a victory. They really worked hard to try to do something. They had a very good first half. There was a lot of talk about uh, about re- replacing, about bringing on Borja Valero into midfield. Spalletti got a lot of stick for that. But, you know, at the end of the day, sometimes the difference between having a really good team, which Inter do have, and very good individuals, and perhaps the, one of the better centre-back partnerships in Serie A, Juventus is just cleverer. They're just more mature. They know how to make the most of like rolling around on the floor or just defending as a unit. They may not always have like, you know, perfection in terms of individuals, but they really know how to come together as a team. Some massively error-prone defending, though, from both teams. Uh, this is what I tell you. It's a myth that Italian teams know how to defend. The you must have hated is, it. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was a disaster to watch for me. Um, but this is the, what I'm telling you. Like, there are certain teams, also like Manchester City, that I always go on about. They just 
have the allure and all this. They intimidate opponents by their reputation and by their name. But actually, if you just have a go at them and just run at them, you'll see that these defences will fall apart. Juve's will fall apart. Bayern's will fall apart. Man City's will fall apart. Lionel Messi scored two free kicks against Espanyol in the Barcelona derby. Is there a less intense local derby for any of Europe's top teams than that one? It's actually quite an intense one. I don't think you do. You, do you think it's not that intense? Well, I, 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 the thing I never understand, having been to Barcelona quite a lot, normally for a specific music festival, uh-huh. is, <laughs> is it's like Newcastle in that it feels like it's a one-club city. Like it is, the, it the, is the, the Barcelona blue and red is absolutely everywhere. You see so many shirts, so many flags, more than any other city. Who supports Espanol? <laughs> People who care about uh, Spain staying together. Right, okay. <laughs> um, li- listen, nobody, very few people, you're right. It is all about Barcelona. Actually, there's this great article that was written a long time ago, in, I think by Sam Borden for New York Times, in which he talks about how angry at the time Javier Aguirre was at the fact that Espanol wasn't mentioned in the local papers until the 40th page. So they go through, so they go through all of Barcelona, then the rest of the league, then Barcelona youth team, and then they get to Espanol. <laughs> because nobody cares about Espanol. But it's always been a, like a little political thing that Espanol directors have been trying to get away from that, you know, they don't want to be just seen as nationalists or all of this. Um, I guess it's more of a political derby because, you know, Catalonian independence versus a set of fans that apparently want to, you, Spain to stay united. But I'll tell you what, in 2007, that derby between them, you know, Raul Tamud, was the reason Real Madrid won that league title. So it can and still... It it can be exciting, even if Espanyol are just so far below. Pretty easy win for Barcelona on this occasion. Also in Spain, though, the Copa Libertadores Super Clasico at the Bernabeu. Uh, River Plate won it after extra time. A lot of hype around this game. Did it live up to it? I think so. Um, I, <laughs> largely because of what happened. Did you guys watch this game? I saw the highlights. Um, because of Quintero. Like, what a performance from that player. What about the last goal that, that Martinez scored when he just found himself free and, and with a goal that had nobody in it and he could just score another goal? This was, It was fantastic for them. They were, obviously, uh, Quintero was the standout performer. He um, he was with Pescara at Serie A and uh, was sold to Porto now on loan. And he was just fantastic. Um, game went into extra time and uh, Barrios was sent off for Boca in the 92nd minute and it just... Uh, it just became that much easier for River Plate to seal the win and lift the title. But they were, in all, in essence, the better team. They had 60% possession. Uh, they had more shots on goal. Uh, yeah, so I was, think it was... Spain, was there a lot of excitement in Spain about that match being hosted there or just sort of a little bit of embarrassment that it had come to that? I, I think there was a lot of anger from South America that it went there. Um, I personally wanted it to be in Genoa since uh, both Boca and uh, River Plate were set up by fans who came from Genoa. Um, and uh, the city had actually asked for it to be played there because they consider it to be the home of River and, and Boca. But, uh, and especially because they've gone through quite a lot recently and they wanted uh, that kind of advertising. But it went to the Bernabeu. And I think there's been a lot of anger about, like, it's quite embarrassing that one of the biggest matches in South America is now being played in Europe. Um, and it seemed to be like more of a, a sort of a gimmick. You know, you had the best players from Bayern watching it, players from Juventus watching it, Lionel Messi taking pictures in the Bernabeu watching it. It seemed to be more of a show like, oh, we're all here to watch this. But hey, it turned out all right. You're listening to the Telegraph Audio Football Club, part of the Telegraph Podcasting Network. To find more of our podcasts, just go to telegraph.co.uk forward slash podcasts. Welcome to a new feature we're calling JJ Bull's Dossier, in which JJ Bull 
spends the weekend looking very closely at what a manager is up to and opens his fictional dossier to share his results. Who were you looking at this weekend, JJ? Well, having been at the Arsenal-Huddersfield game, I liked. I was really impressed with what David Wagner did with Huddersfield in that game. Um, they looked really bad earlier in the season, but recently their performances have been far and away better from what they were earlier. And against Arsenal, they did what you'd expect them to do and, and sat deep for some of it, but they were pressing them high and their, their shape was so confusing. I was sat next to the other Telegraph writer, Sam Dean, and we were kept trying to work out what the shape was, whether it was a four at the back or a three, sometimes it was five, there was a six at times. Uh, but everything they did was designed to frustrate Arsenal and for the first half it worked perfectly. They were man-to-man, Arsenal couldn't get near them, they were forced wide the entire time. There was a couple of chances that came inevitably because they've got good players. But the problem you've got, and what Wagner even alludes to at the end he says he was really impressed with the defensive shift and the effort and tactical quality t- tactical quality they had and they limited Arsenal but, um, and that's enough for Huddersfield Town to deserve a point but they lack going forward there's nothing really there they had Alex Pritchard was getting in behind sometimes in the rare times they were going able to go forward um, but Emery making that brutal change at half time changed it to put on two wide forwards which then meant they had players behind uh, Obama Yang up front and the problem with Huddersfield's uh, shape and tactic was to, to defend man-to-man rather than positionally and zonally. It means if one person loses their man at any point in the final third, it's a real danger. And that's exactly what happened with Torreira for the goal. He goes, uh, the, Schindler gets drawn towards the ball with Aubameyang and uh, Torreira nips behind him and that's how he's free in space. And that's the only time they really let anyone free in that entire, entire game. But I think Huddersfield, on the back of that, can definitely do damage to... To, to worse teams and they should end up being fine by the end of the season but they're lacking something up front I think I've become a Huddersfield fan <laughs> <laughs> Finally Accrington versus Sunderland was abandoned on Saturday due to rainy weather after 74 minutes with a score at one all. it doesn't seem like there's much point in making the players and fans travel again to play out the last 15 minutes in Accrington so AFC teammates please put your minds together tell me your creative solutions for how we settle this football match first I'll tell you we threw this question to our friends on social media and had some excellent suggestions on Twitter. Lots of shouts for rock, paper, scissors officiated by the band referee. Uh, Trevor Oakley says, make them play it at the Burnabout instead. Quite a few people... <laughs> oh, my joke, damn it. Oh, you've been trumped by Twitter, JJ. Quite a few shouts for a game of FIFA to settle it or a more retro suggestion from Mike Goodhill, 15-minute Sabutio playoff. Finally, Pablo says, have a referendum. It's the simplest way to settle anything. What have you got, JJ? Well, I was going to go with the rock, paper, scissors, I've got to say. Not a very original thought, I but- <laughs> Trump by Twitter. JJ, yeah, your, your life ruined. Yeah. <laughs> my, my yours is gone. Elaborate creative one now that the Bernabeu joke's gone. It's too obvious a joke, isn't it? Uh, it would be that you use some sort of that technology that they had when they were, uh, I think Japan was pitching for the World Cup. And they put this thing in where uh, you could see the, virtu- the players virtually on the pitch, like holograms almost. So <laughs> I'm sure actually Stanley can afford this. <laughs> you, be, you, you put. Uh, you put Hologram technology in, <laughs> you can get a halftime show from Tupac as well. It'd be good. Yeah, wonderful. Yeah, <laughs> but then you, so you have Axton and Stanley are playing one side against Sunderland. Sunderland are real, but they're playing against holograms. And then Axton and Stanley are real in Axton and Stanley against holograms. And then uh, that's how you do it. I don't know. <laughs> that sounds fine. Sounds completely plausible. Yeah. Mina, 
You could do permutations on uh, if whoever figures out how people can qualify from the Champions League, then they can win it. Um, but I have always thought for many, many years that Quentin Stanley was made up a because of that team. advert. Right. Yeah, Quentin Stanley. I always thought well, they, that was... They didn't exist at the time of that advert. Is that right? That, the, the timeline might be slightly extinct, off there. Yeah, gone, yeah, yeah they, that, was, that was the whole point. They've gone extinct. They've gone extinct. A massive <laughs> meteor <laughs> in Lancashire. Yeah. No, that was, that was the whole point of the advert, wasn't it? If you... Um, if you if you don't drink your milk, you'll end up playing for Axon Stanley. And who are they? Did, exactly. it, did it work on you that advert? Yeah, it did. It was Ian Rush, wasn't it? Was uh, it Rush? He was mentioned. All oh, right, okay, okay. Yeah. I, I love remember. that advert. <laughs> <laughs> That's all we have for you this week. Don't be shy about contacting me on Twitter before next week's episode. It's at Tom with an H Gibbs. You can send us an email too if you'd like with suggested topics for discussion for next week's episode or fan mail for JJ. The address is afcpodcast at telegraph.co.uk. We'll read out the best of what you send us. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast. Just search for Telegraph Audio Football Club or on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and let's face it, the internet in general. Thanks to Joel Grove on the buttons and thanks to you for your company. I'll talk to you again soon.